Hi there and welcome to the podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. The search for therapies that can make a meaningful difference to patients with severe COVID-19 goes on as the pandemic continues unabated. Lise Estcor is a consultant haematologist for the NHS Blood and Transplant Division and a lecturer in transfusion medicine. She joins me on the podcast today to discuss the role of convalescent serum in the management of COVID-19. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can you briefly outline what the theory is behind convalescent plasma in the management of COVID-19? Yes. So um, giving convalescent plasma provides people who receive it with antibodies that they don't have, and that helps neutralise the virus. So what happens is the antibodies attach to the virus that's in the body and stop the virus infecting more cells. So in that way, it helps stop the infection progress more in the patient who's received them. Lisa, what's the difference between convalescent plasma and a related term, which is hyperimmune immunoglobulin? So convalescent plasma is plasma that's taken from people who've recovered from COVID and have antibodies against the virus. And it's taken from one individual. So it's one donor produces a unit of convalescent plasma. Hyperimmune globulin is actually made from convalescent plasma, but instead of it being from one donor, it's from lots of donors and put together. And it's manufactured so that all the doses of hyperimmune globulin have the same level of antibody within them. And they're from lots of different individuals. So often you have a, a huge vat that includes kind of donations from 18,000 donors put all together and then create the hyperimmune globulin. What are the sort of clinical examples of where these types of therapies have been effective in clinical medicine? So hyperimmune globulin is in current use for actually post-exposure prophylaxis for people who've got um, been exposed to an infection and at high risk of getting severe or fatal disease. So a good example is um, chickenpox, and you produce uh, hyperimmune globulin against chickenpox, and that's given, for example, to babies where their mother has got chickenpox at the time, or people who are high risk because they've got uh, an impaired immune system, so they've had recent chemotherapy or a stem cell transplant. What are the sort of... Uh, negative effects that could be seen in somebody who was receiving some sort of therapy like this? So one thing that we were concerned about initially was called antibody-dependent enhancement of infection. And that it occurs when you don't have neutralising antibodies and actually the antibody can increase the ability for virus to infect cells rather than decrease the ability to the virus to infect cells. So people get worse rather than better and the virus spreads more quickly. Now, because with the convalescent plasma, everybody's been very cautious about testing the levels of antibodies and looking for plasma that's got high levels of neutralizing antibodies. We've actually not seen any evidence that that has occurred um, in all the trials um, that have been happening around the world. And in the USA, they've been giving it as an expanded access program. 
Um, and they're currently giving over 30,000 units of convalescent plasma a week within the USA. Um, and they've seen no evidence that it has had any harmful effects over and above giving standard plasma, because plasma is given as a, a standard blood product anyway, but no increased uh, evidence of harm. Now, a couple of major papers have just come out this month, but prior to this month, was there any evidence that convalescent plasma and associated therapies had an effect in COVID-19? So there have been um, some small studies um, that have shown um, suggestion of benefit in people who've had severe disease. Um, there's been a study in Egypt that was randomised that showed that patients um, improved more quickly um, with convalescent plasma. And there was also a study in Iraq that, again, in people with severe disease, showed improvement of symptoms. Other studies have either been too small or stopped early because they were in a country where the number of COVID cases had declined, so they weren't able to randomise anymore. Um, patients during the trial, but there have been some recent studies showing um, benefit of convalescent plasma published very recently. Lisa, the REMAP-CAP study uh, on the 11th of January ceased enrolling patients who were in ICU into the um, convalescent serum, um, uh, sorry, convalescent plasma arm. Uh, can you tell us what the reasons for that were and what, what they found? They found overall in all patients who were randomised in the trial that there was evidence of no benefit of convalescent plasma. So it didn't decrease the number of days that patients were in intensive care or died. So the so overall for, for all patients that were included in the trial, which was over... Um, 2,000, but the analysis was based on 800 patients. It showed no overall evidence of benefit. However, we do know that uh, there's a study come out in January of this year, um, published by the Americans, that looked at evidence from the Expanded Access Program in the USA. And they compared people who had had high titer uh, convalescent plasma versus low titer convalescent plasma and looked at um, evidence of benefit. And they showed that people who had been requiring mechanical ventilation didn't benefit, but those who didn't require mechanical ventilation benefited. And that was most evident with they were given the treatment within 72 hours of diagnosis. Now, one of the other studies that's been or was being run in the UK until just recently is the recovery trial. What, what were the differences between REMAP-CAP and did they support each other's findings? Yes. So overall, the recovery trial has, again, shown evidence of no benefit in the trial. So their primary outcome was all-cause mortality at 28 days, and they showed that there was no difference. So 18% mortality in both arms at 28 days for the patient group. 
Now, both of these trials, they're interim analysis, so the data is likely to change somewhat because there are a lot more patients randomised after, um, after the patients who were included in these analyses had um, completed enrolment. Because if you think a patient's been randomised and then it takes often many weeks before you get the outcome result and then you've got to analyse the data. So there's often a difference between how many are randomised and how many are in that interim analysis. So both trials were waiting for the final analysis and we're also going to look at subgroup data to see if there's any evidence of benefit in a subgroup. Now, since those two trials reported their interim analysis findings, there's been some other work that's been released, I believe. Um, so the, the other study that has recently um, been published was an Argentinian trial that randomised patients to convalescent plasma or placebo. And this was for elderly patients who had mild COVID, but high, obviously high risk of developing severe COVID. And they gave a unit of high titer convalescent plasma. And they showed that giving the convalescent plasma early decreased the risk of progression to severe disease by around 50%. And if you gave really high titer plasma, um, then it actually decreased the risk of progression to severe disease by over 70%. So putting all of this together, it sounds like the earlier that it's given, the more potential benefit there is, which would seem to make sense that the most severe patients in the ICU have already developed the end organ damage associated with that. Is that your feeling? Yeah, that's correct. And we feel that it's likely that the subgroups who would benefit um, in those who have more severe disease are those who haven't developed their own antibodies yet or still have evidence of active virus at the time of treatment. We're actually looking at those subgroups within REMAP-CAP. So we've tested everyone to see whether they had antibodies or not at, ba at baseline. And we know that 28% of um, patients in the REMAP-CAP trial in the UK had no antibodies in the REMAP-CAP trial. And we know that if you don't have antibodies, then you're much more likely to have lots of virus detectable. So we've found that the amount of virus is much, much higher in those that have the virus detectable and those who don't have antibody compared to those that do. So the group in REMAP-CAP that may benefit if we have evidence in the subgroup is those people who are antibody negative and have lots of virus. Are there other subgroups that you suspect are likely to benefit from therapy? Yes. So we know people can sometimes be very sick and be admitted straight to ITU. And so it's likely another group that might benefit are those who are treated soon after hospital admission. What's your thought about where things stand now? Is there enough evidence to be implementing this on a wide basis to early COVID or is it something that still needs to be researched? So currently there's only one trial that's looked at um, early treatment and shown a benefit. There's a small trial. So it showed in its primary outcome a benefit, but all of the secondary outcomes there wasn't statistically significant. It showed a trend in the same direction, but there needs to be more evidence before it's implemented. And, and we're hoping that um, we can develop further trials in this area um, 
to look at the question of early treatment for people with mild disease who are high risk of developing severe or fatal COVID. Finally, Lisa, are there any uh, other potential indications for um, plasma, uh, convalescent plasma, things like um, primary, pre or uh, immediate post exposure prophylaxis? So I think it's unlikely that we will have enough convalescent plasma to use it um, pre-exposure because it's a limited resource. But I can see, especially in its formulation of hyperimmune globulin, that it could be used as post-exposure prophylaxis for people at high risk of severe or fatal disease. And it is actually being tested in some trials in that um, scenario at the moment, the hyperimmune globulin. Lisa, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast to share your insights into this important development. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. For more great interviews just like this, please visit our website at www.oslacommunity.com.